Hey everybody, this is Round 6 MMA Talk, the fight after the fight, with me, your boy, Noah Petrie. I know, I know what you're thinking, another MMA podcast. I know, there's a lot of us out there, but if you like bold, unapologetic hot takes, a detailed, broken down view of the fight game, and of course, stomach-hurting comedy, well, come to the right place. What's going on, everyone? This is episode 29 of our 6 MMA Talk, the fight after the fight with me, your boy Noah Petrie. Let me adjust my gain a little bit there. Perfect. Actually, I'm going to go back up. See, I'm recording late at night, right, as I usually do, and have to be wary of my neighbors because I live in New York City and everyone can hear a fucking pin drop if I do literally anything, which is terrible and is so annoying, but... If I have the gain too low, then it'll be hard for you guys to hear. Because I did get some feedback that my last episode was a little bit hard on hearing. So it's definitely a gain issue. But if I increase the gain, then I can get the surrounding bullshit that happens in New York City late at night. And I don't want that. So I'm trying to find a sweet spot here. I'm guessing this is going to be the sweet spot. Hopefully so. We will see how that plays out. But guys, I promise you, man, I don't like recording late at night. I don't feel like I give it my all when I do so because I have to be quiet. So I'm definitely going to start recording a lot earlier. But this is episode 29 of R6 MMA Talk, the fight after the fight with me, your boy, Noah P. And first and foremost, I really want to take the time to do a dedication for Anthony Romo Johnson. As you may know, he died. Um, unfortunately, I believe it was a uh, an, an illness that in regards to like lymphoma or something along those lines and it just sucks because he had such a a up and down career was really up and down in the beginning his career you know he was fighting at 170 which i don't know how the fuck he ever made weight at 170 i literally don't know how he made weight at 170 i don't know like I, i i can't understand how that man who was fighting at you know who looked like a regular tool fiver was cutting down an extra 30 pounds. It's insane. Um, he was killing himself doing it. And like, to the point where, you know, he would miss weight 10, 15 pounds at times, which is freaking insane. But eventually he got his career back on track. He went to light heavyweight where he belonged. He was viciously knocking out everyone who came in his path. Literally the first person to knock out Glover Teixeira, knocked out Alexander Gustafson, nearly knocked out DC. DC to this day says that this just uh, shot, the overhand right that he got from Rumble Johnson is the hardest hit he ever got in his career. And he didn't know how the hell he survived that one. So dude, man, it's one of those things where if, if John Jones and if DC wasn't in that era, then Rumble Johnson would have been champion. So it's unfortunate that he's one of those fighters who would definitely go down as um, one of the greats and never won a title. But besides that, man, like as a person, everyone loved him. Everyone who came into contact with him or that I've known who, who uh, you know, who had interactions with him all said he was a great guy and that he was a stand-up guy, you know. So it's unfortunate that he had to go so soon. We all know he was battling some illness. He was alluding to it for the past year now. Um, when we saw him on his most recent Instagram post, he had lost a substantial amount of weight. But I thought it was over and done with, and he was good to go. It's unfortunate that uh, they had to pass so soon and so young. So that's a, a little tribute for Anthony Rumble Johnson. And, man, it, I wish he, he didn't retire so early, you know, because after the, the second DC loss, he decided to retire and just leave the game for like five, six years. And he came back, and I'm so happy that at least the fight that he came back for over in Bellator, he he got the W. I'm happy that he did. And in classic Anthony Rumble Johnson fashion, got a knockout W. So I'm happy that, you know, even though he, he took two back-to-back title L losses, he came back for one more go, and at least he got that knockout W. So that's just a little short tribute for Anthony Rumble Johnson. May he rest in peace. Um, my condolences to his family and everyone that was affected by his loss. So after that, I'm going to be going over UFC 281 that, that just passed this past weekend. And dude, this fucking fight card was amazing. This fight card was incredible. I have nothing bad to say about this fight card. Over and all, from beginning to end, it was incredible. The prelims alone had like six um, like KOs. Then for the main, the main event, you had... 
well, how many finishes? Every single one ended in the finish. Every single main event, main event fight ended in the finish, which is insane. Like it's so hard. You know, this this fight on paper was stacked, but it really, by far, it led up to the expectations that uh, that we had going into it. And of course, I want to start with the prelims first. I want to go over Molly McCann against Blanchfield. And a lot of people counted Blanchfield out in this, which is so weird because when you look at the the uh, the betting odds, it was plus two hundred for for Blanchfield. I was actually gonna bet in this fight. I should have because I would would have won easy money. But now I know, you know, going going into it later, Blanchfield's fighting a striker. Fucking bet the house on her. But a lot of people doubted Blanchfield coming into his fight just because Molly McCain was riding off so much hype with her KO wins. Um, over this past year, you know, her being a personality, having a cult following, hanging out with Patty Pimblett, and him being like his, her being like his little sidekick. So, you know, and I don't mean in a disrespectful way. I mean as in like, you know, two buddy and pals, whatever. But um, yeah, man, a lot of people were calling Blanchfield out, and Blanchfield put up fucking performance of a lifetime. She took her down immediately after taking her down to got her into a crucifix position i can't explain to you how hard it is to get someone in a crucifix position it's one of those positions that it's such a rare and unique position once you get it on your opponent the fight's basically done that's how hard it is to get out of a crucifix position which molly was able to do credit to her well blanchfield kind of reversed position and went for a kimura so she didn't really get out of it but um it's one of those positions that, dude, once you get in it, once you're wrapped up in a crucifix, it's basically fight over. Because you have your 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 left hand, you know, tangled. You have your right arm tangled. The left hand, left arm tangled. Your right arm tangled. And at that point, there's really nothing you can do. You know, it's an extremely hard position to get out of. Because both of your arms that you would need to get out of any position are tied up and completely tangled. And your opponent is raining down elbows or punches, which is exactly what Blanchfield was doing. Now, I, I do like the referee's decision because he didn't stop the fight at that particular moment. Even though um, Molly McCann was taking on some damage, obviously not being able to defend, just taking elbows and punches to the head. But she was actively trying to get out of the position. It wasn't like she was taking a lot of damage, you know, getting cut up or anything like that. She was getting hit, don't get me wrong, but... She wasn't taking substantial damage. She was still very much in the fight, trying to get trying to get out of the position. So I like that the referee didn't, you know, just call the fight at that point. Because some of them do. Some of them, you know, as soon as the crucifix position happens, they wait a couple of seconds, see if the fire can get out of it, then just call it. Because at that point, you're just taking abuse and you can't properly defend yourself or anything. But I like that the referee kept it on just a little bit longer. Afterwards, Blanchfield got McCann into a Kimura, which, my fucking God, Kimura... Kimura's are one of the few decisions that make me cringe. One of the very few submissions that make me cringe. Literally, watching a Kimura happen is like, in a per especially when they don't tap. When a Kimura happens and they don't tap, I'm literally just like on the edge of my seat, you know, freaking toes curling, fist curling, fist clenches, like holding on for dear life. Because it's one of those positions that, I mean, one of those submissions that, dude, if you hang, if you don't submit, you could get a spiral fracture, which is extremely hard to recover from. You can get torn ligaments in your shoulder, which your shoulder is one of the worst, one of the worst places to tear ligaments. Your shoulders and your knees are the two absolute worst place to tear ligaments and the Achilles heel as well. So it's just painful to watch, man. She held on, dude. She fucking held on for dear life, which is... You know, you can say a lot of things about Molly McCann, but she's tough. She's 100% tough. Everyone else in that division would have tapped to that. You know, minus a champion maybe. But everyone else in that in that position is tapping. But she held on. I don't know if holding on was a smart thing to do, but she held on. I wonder after the x-ray, you know, if her shoulder is all jacked up or not. But, man, she's tough, man. She's tough. Um, she held on, and then Blanchfield got another Kimura. Thank fucking God, Molly McCann tapped. But, dude, Blanchfield's impressive. Blanchfield is extremely impressive. She's only 23 years old. She's almost four years younger than me. And she's fighting in the UFC. She's already ranked. She's, you know, a very formidable grappler and wrestler. I think she had a... Uh, I think she 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 won a, a divisional in in jiu jitsu or something like that. 
I think it was like an invitational. It might have been uh, Eddie Bravo's No Gi Invitational. But, dude, she's phenomenal, man. Like, she's one of those people that you have to look out for. Uh, would I pick her to, to beat Shevchenko now? No. Like, obviously fucking not. But she's someone that, you know, in the next two, three years, she can very well be champion. And that's for the, the Molly McCann and Blanchfield fight. Next up, we have... Okay. Next up, we have... Oh, God. This is a fucking heartbreak. Next up, we have Dominic Reyes against Ryan Spann. And... What is really... What is there to say? You know, in the opening seconds of the fight, backtrack. Dominic Reyes has never been the same since John Jones. We all know this. It's fucking obvious. He won, definitely won that fight against John Jones. And ever since then, I just feel like his confidence fell off. Like, leading up to the Blockowitz and, and Reyes fight, I thought that, you know, Reyes was going to be the clear winner over Blockowitz. But once I found out that Reyes changed his uh, head coach and his camp, more importantly, he changed the head coach to his brother, I'm just like, that's when I'm like, yo, he's going to lose. Because fighters do that all the time. When a fighter gets a loss or a setback, immediately what they want to do is change coach or change camps, which at times can be correct. At times can be correct. But at that particular time, it wasn't correct for the fact that he won the John Jones fight. It's not like, you know, he was incompetent and it was a clear loss for him. No, man, he won that fight. The issue is the judges. It wasn't anything. He couldn't have done anything better. I mean, maybe preserve his gas tank a little more and not go, not try to put John Jones away in the first round. But besides that, dude, he had, he he fought a very good fight. He beat the champ in everyone's eyes, except for except the three stupid fucking judges on that night. So there was really no reason to make the switch. And I just feel like when he lost that John Jones fight, all this confidence went entirely out the window. He just lost it, you know. Maybe Ian, he he maybe felt like I have to do something better. I have to switch things up, which he did with the Young Blockers fight. He got knocked out. He fought Yurik Blahashka. He got knocked out. Now, no shame to those two dudes because those two dudes were literally champions. So he's only losing the champions. But Ryan Spann, realistically, as good as Ryan Spann is, Ryan Spann is incredible in that first round. As good as Ryan Spann is, that's someone that, Dominic Reyes should have been able to beat. Prime Reyes, prior to the John Jones fight, would have beaten Ryan Spann, in my humblest opinion. And the fact that it wasn't even compatible and he just, he got dropped twice and got knocked out with a jab. Like a jab, dude. Like, if it was like a fucking nasty overhand right, then it's like, oh, okay, it's still not a good look, but okay. But if you're gonna not, if you're gonna knock out by a short left jab, there you have some big chin issues. You have some really big chin issues that you need to address. And my thing is, does it even make sense for him to be in the UFC roster anymore? But more importantly, does it make sense for him to be fighting MMA anymore? Granted, he's only 32 years old, but I think he should definitely take a year off and figure out what he wants to do. If he wants to continue MMA or if he doesn't. If he wants to continue MMA, I think the UFC should give him one more fight just for the fuck of it. He should not be fighting anyone ranked. Clearly, he lost to Ryan Spann, who was ranked number 12. He should not be fighting anyone remotely ranked. He should stay away from everyone ranked. And if he loses that one, then I think that's done, man. And it's so unfortunate. You know, a lot of people underestimate fighting John Jones. There's so many people in their career that after fighting John Jones, they just become a train wreck after. And Dominic Reyes is one of those people, unfortunately. But I want to have belief in him. I want to think that it's just maybe confidence issues. But if he gets if he gets knocked out again, then that's it, man. It's the end of the world, and it's an unfortunate end of the world. Now we have, and it kind of it, it parallels Johnny Hendricks in a way. Granted, Johnny Hendricks won the belt, but after that, he just fell off a cliff. And I, I kind of I'm seeing Reyes have the same issue. Um, and of course, it's not entirely the same because Johnny Hendricks is missing a ton of weight. Um, 
and his subsequent bouts after the the, the loss to GSP. And that's not Dominic Reyes' issue, but I just see a parallel in someone, you know, getting robbed for for you know a title fight and then their just careers is never the same. Now we have Mercano against Riddell. And this is another fight that it really the, the one of the fighters just didn't seem like it was quite there. Riddell from the beginning, I was quite shocked how good Mercano was fighting on the feet against Riddell. Riddell is someone who has a kickboxing background, who was the head coach at Tiger Muay Thai at one point. So, dude, he like in his fight against Fazayev, he was winning the first two rounds and unfortunately got put out in the last one. So, and they were close, don't get me wrong, but I think he edged him out. And then Fazayev is someone who we know has, you know, deadly striking in the division. So it was just, it, it, he just seemed a little off. He definitely seemed a little off in that fight. Mercano looked good. That's the best Mercano has ever looked in his entire career up until this point. But Brad Riddell clearly looked a little off. Like, it would, be, it would be lying if you say he didn't. He looked off. And Marcano was surprisingly doing very well on the feet. Eventually, he, get, he takes Riddell to the ground. The whole My whole issue of everything was he, it, once he got taken to the ground and, you know, Marcano got the rear naked choke synced in, he didn't fight the hands. He didn't. And I remember at, in real time when I'm watching the fight, I was drunk. I was sauced. Like, I was gone. Like, I was, like, out of it. And even drunk me is watching that like, yo, why isn't he hand fighting? Because it doesn't matter who you are, right? If I'm, if, if you get choked out from the back, rear naked choke from a random dude on the subway, immediately the first thing instinctly you're going to do is fight the hands. You don't, you, don't, you don't have to have any kind of fighting background, jiu-jitsu background. The first thing you're going to do is fight the hands. It's instinctive. You're getting choked, so you're going to fight the hands. And he didn't do that at all. Granted, he wasn't in the best position to really fight the hands. He was, you know, on his hands and knees, and he could he would only be able to utilize one arm. But he it just looked like he didn't even try. It looked like he just accepted defeat. It looked like he knew it was in, and he just like, yo, I know this rodeo already. Fuck it, I'm gonna take this L. And afterwards, you know, he he actually said he's gonna retire for a little bit, see what he wants to do, get his head right. He's not. He doesn't have the motivation to compete currently, um, and sees and he wants to see if he if it comes back. And if not, then he's hanging it up. Which now and now hindsight definitely makes sense because he just seemed like he, he didn't want to be in there, man. And uh, he said to himself, "Listen, if you're not in love with MMA and you don't want to do this anymore, this is the wrong sport, wrong occupation to to to, to keep going, just to go with the flow and you know, and just go through the motions." Is definitely 100% the wrong sport to be doing that. So I'm happy that he realized it and probably financially is in a position he could take off to see if he wants to do what he wants to do after. But I definitely think that that's the best bet for him. Then we have Hooker against Pulias. And this fight was weird as fuck. This is a really weird fight. This was very, very strange. Honestly, I have to, I have to be honest. I counted Hooker out in this one. I counted Hooker out in this one. I thought Pulias was going to go in there and submit him. Pulias has a very good ground game, very good submission skills. I thought he was going to be able to, I thought he was going to rush Gan Hooker in the beginning of the fight, get his back, or, you know, get some kind of submission and submit him. And that was the case. We seen, we saw classic Dan Hooker in this fight. Dan Hooker did such a good job maintaining the distance, never allowing Pulias to close the distance. Dan Hooker did a very good job you know, fighting submissions and reversing position constantly, he was never at a point where he was actually in trouble. Granted, uh, I think Pulley has got a a leg lock. I want I want to say knee bar it was knee bar. Was it a heel hook? I want it's it probably it was such a weird position you can't really see the foot because he was laying on top of it while the entire leg for that point. I want to say it was most likely a heel hook. But in that position, Dan Hooker was never in trouble. Like his leg was completely extended. He was perfectly fine. So he did a very good job defending his defending submissions and very good job maintaining distance, very good job utilizing that jab, um, defending takedowns left and right, you know, he, he, he just, and of course going to the body, which subsequently led the fight to, you know, led him to get the TKO victory. 
So he looked good in there, man. Dan Hooker looked really good in there, and I'm happy that I was able to get the win over someone that was up and coming and was rising. Um, I just think this definitely wasn't Puglia's his best performance. I think I think it was more so a confidence issue with Puglia's. After he realized that everything he was doing wasn't working, I think he just fell apart mentally because he just kept going for the legs, man. He was shooting from so far. From so far, he, he wasn't closing the distance. He wasn't setting up a combination to shoot for a takedown. He wasn't doing anything, nothing like that. He was shooting from fucking five feet away straight to trying to ankle pick his opponent. It was not working. He tried to do the Eminari roll a few times. You can do the Eminari roll once. You have one chance to do the Eminari roll. Sorry, it's one of those words you can't say fast. You have one chance to do the Eminari roll, literally. If you get it, good. If not, you're not going to be able to get it again. It's one of those moves that's like a one and done, man. And once it's over, you got to keep going. You got to try something new. And he just kept going to the well, and it just wasn't working. So I don't think that – I do think he's a really good fighter. I just think that this definitely was not his best performance. Then we have Frankie against Gutierrez. And – I, I want to talk about Frankie Yeager, Frankie Yeager too, you know, because he was someone who was a, a legend and was tiring in his last fight. I like the fact that, you know, they gave him his little, his little reel about his career um, leading up to the fight and that they announced in his hometown, not really, he's not from New York, he's from fucking Tom's River, New Jersey, which I hear is incredibly racist from people who've actually been there. I'm not saying that Frankie Yeager is, I'm just point out a weird fact but but um yeah i like the fact that you know they 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 let the crowd know this is the last fight and and that kind of stuff what i didn't like was the matchmaking there's two things i didn't like i didn't like the matchmaking you know i, I think that frankie yeager you could have had him fight a dominant cruz or uriah faber or someone who's like or jose aldo or someone who has a name you know you have to have all the time Old, super old legends fight these young up-and-coming fighters who don't have a name yet because it's not all the time that that name transfers over or that star power transfers over it, it's actually pretty rare when it when it does so i think that you know it would have benefited frankie Edgar and would have benefited the fans more if we had like him against raya faber that's a fun matchup that's a fun old guy matchup and it's something that you know um Frank Yeager would have had a good chance at, at winning the fight. Both guys would have got paid fairly well. The fans would have been happy because they're all fucking casuals and they don't care. They just recognize the names and they want to see him fight. So it would have been a win-win across the board, but the UFC don't play that, man. It's, it's kill or be killed, unfortunately. And the other thing I have criticism with is do not bring your kids to the fights. Fighters, please, bro, please do not bring your kids to the fights, dude. Don't do it. Stop doing it. Stop doing it. Just stop, dude. If your if your kids are like teenage years, adults, okay, that's different. But when you have little kids, man, that's not good. Even if your kids understand what you're doing, it's still traumatic, dude. I I can't imagine me being eight years old, seven years old, six years old. And see my dad get viciously knocked out in front of thousands of people. Bro, I'm 27. If I see my dad get knocked out now, it's still traumatic for me. I'm still never going to recover. It's still going to be like, fuck. Like, it's going to be a weird feeling and I'm just, it's not good. Now, and I'm a grown man. Imagine as a kid. Imagine as a kid seeing that. You have to look at it from a kid's perspective. Kids should not be seeing their parents fight like that, dude. I just, I don't recommend it, man. I, I don't recommend it. And he brought him. I mean, it's his last fight, I guess. That's what you're going to do. But, man, I would just keep them little shits home. I would have just kept them home, man. That that That's personally on me. But, you know, Frank Yeager had an incredible career. He's one of those guys that was fighting in the weight division where he had no business being up there. He was fighting at 155. Why the fuck was five foot six Frank Yeager fighting at 155? I have no clue. Granted, it wasn't a division then what it is now, but dude, he was still super small for that division. He realistically should have been fighting featherweight, more likely bantamweight his entire career, but he didn't. 
And dude, his chin held up. He has one of the... Ironically, because he got knocked out his last fight, the dude had an incredible chin his entire career. It wasn't up until recently where he was getting knocked out left and right. But dude, he's been in wars. He's fight the best of the best in the division, the heaviest hitters in, in his divisions. And he just kept going, man. He had one of the best granite chins ever. And it, eventually he's going to go. Eventually your body can only take so much damage and it's going to give out. So... You know, it's a very unfortunate ending, but Frankie Edgar would most definitely be in the Hall of Fame without a shadow of a doubt. And then we have Poirier against Chandler, and I was actually going to bet money on this fight too for Chandler, and I should have. Ah, man, this fight was a war. This fight was, listen, you can say anything you want about Michael Chandler, anything you want. The one thing you can't say, he that he ain't fucking entertaining. That man is entertaining. He knows how to put a, a, a show on. And he wasn't really like that in Bellator. He was still entertaining in Bellator. But he just seemed, like, ever since coming to the UFC, he's like, yo, I'm just I'm here for a good time and a long time. And I respect him for it. I 100% respect him for it. But this fight was crazy, man. This fight was crazy. We all knew out the gate Chandler was going to be a fucking a banshee on a crack. That he was going to come out the gate fucking guns blazing, trying to put Poirier away. Poirier does such a good job covering up. Poirier is so dangerous up against the fence. He's one of the few fighters where up against the fence, that's so, that's actually where you don't want to have him because he's so good at blocking and rolling, and he uses his elbow to block too. It's something that's very unique to him, and he just fires back, man. His timing, Poirier's timing is so weird, right? Because it, and everyone says this too, it looks like it's slower than it actually is. But he thumps too. He has, you know, he he's someone who can hit very hard in his own right as well. So mix his weird timing with his really good defense against a cage. And he was, you know, he was landing some really good strikes on on Chandler. Granted, I think Chandler won round one. I think he got two really good takedowns, if I recall. He had, um... Yeah, Dustin Poirier hurt, but that's because of the headbutt. They clashed of heads, and Poirier was days afterwards, but he had him up against the fence. He was landing some big shots, but Poirier counters back. Him with a right hand drops him. Apparently, the judges don't consider that would a drop. I don't understand how. Like, I don't understand how. They don't consider it a knockdown. It was a clear knockdown, but judges are stupid. The New York State Athletic Commission is almost as bad as... The three worst athletic commissions are Texas, Florida, and New York State. 100%. Anyone who argues against it, they can suck me off. Because those three athletic commissions are fucking terrible. But they don't consider it a knockdown. It's a knockdown in everyone else's eyes. But, dude, Poirier had him really hurt. He had him really, really, really hurt in that first round. A couple more seconds would have ended the fight. Would have 100% ended the fight. In the second round, in the second round, Chandler did a really good job wrestling. I don't, I didn't really like the fact that he was wrestling at first because he doesn't have the best gas tank, and wrestling is just gonna drain his gas tank even more. But he did a very good job maintaining control, wrestling, staying in top position, landing some really good ground to pound towards end that second round. So I had Chandler in the third. I had Chandler in the third. I had him two zero. I had him the first round and the second round. If anything, you could argue it was 1-1. But I had a 2-0 for Chandler. And Chandler was looking like he was going to do the exact same thing in that third round as well. He was going to utilize his wrestling, utilize his ground game. He kind of fucked up because he was doing these big, flashy takedowns, which it's really hard to hold your opponent after doing these big, flashy takedowns, which Poirier was able to reverse it, get a hold of the neck, Hit him with the rear naked choke and got the submission. It's the first submission victory in Poirier's career. And it's the first submission defeat in Chandler's career, which is pretty ironic. But solid performance from Chandler. I think he really, I mean, solid performance. Yeah, solid performance from Chandler. Solid performance from Dustin. I think this fight, this I think Dustin really needed to finish him in that round. If not, he was going to lose that fight. What's next for Dustin? He does not deserve a title shot whatsoever. 100% does not deserve a title shot. Dustin should fight Gaethje or Dustin should fight um, Dariush. He called out Dariush. I think Dariush should be open to the fight. 
they can fight between themselves to see who's no more contender. I'm cool with that. Chandler should fight Connor or fight Justin again. Or maybe even fight Fazayev. That would be a very entertaining fight as well. So anything, you can literally put Chandler against a fucking toddler and it will be entertaining. So, you know, the 155, it's it's a really exciting division nowadays since, since uh, Khabib left. Which is fortunate and unfortunate at the same time. I definitely have a spars against Wiley. And this fight was not competitive. It was not competitive. I thought it would be a little more competitive than it actually was. And unfortunately, it wasn't. It went, it flew by, man. It flew by. And Wiley just looked good. The MMA, MMA gods are right there wrong. The MMA gods always right there wrong. Because in that second fight against Rose, I think Zhang clearly won that fight. I think she clearly won the fight. I thought she got robbed. A lot of people thought she got robbed. She gets her way back to a title shot, knocking out Joanna, and wins the belt again in a decisive manner. So the MMA gods, whenever judges fuck things up, they always write their wrongs, which I'm happy that that at least happens. Well, not always, because Dominic Gray has never won the belt. But, uh, <laughs> you know, they write their wrongs most of the time. They can only do so much. So... Dude, Zhang just looked good right off the bat. She's easily the most well-rounded person in that entire division. During the finishing sequences, she had Esparza in a reverse crucifix, which is extremely rare, and got the submission from a reverse crucifix. Her, your jiu-jitsu game has to be incredible in order to do that. And she was utilizing some jiu-jitsu even before that, and it was looking really good. Her wrestling gone better. Her striking was always phenomenal. She's a threat. She's 100% a threat. What's next for her? I think you can probably run back to Rose fight again. I don't really care for it. We're having too much rematches in this era. This is like the rematch era. Everyone's getting rematches. And I, I don't want, I t- I'm tired of that. I want to see fresh meat. I want to see new matchups. I don't want to see the same people fight four, five, six times. Especially when you don't need to. So I think that you can give it to Rose again. I personally would have Zhang against Lemos or Rose against Lemos to fight in the winner fights um, Zhang. That's why I think. I think that's I think that's more than justified. Or have Rose fight uh, Mariana Rodriguez or something like that. I don't think Rose should be coming off of, especially with that terrible fucking performance against Carlos Parza. I don't think we should give her a title shot. But the UFC is probably going to do that because Rose sells and Rose is entertaining. And that's a fight that has a lot of history and, you, and they know it would sell. So over and all, Zhang looked good. And you can argue she's the greatest fighter in that division ever. If she can get her, if she can get a victory over Rose, I think she's easily the greatest fighter in that division ever. And now we have the main event, moment we've all been waiting for. Anasanya against Pereira. And Pereira opens up with a flying kick. It reminded me of, uh, God, what's his name? No, former champion, Aresio Verdum against uh, Travis Brown. This came in there flying kick. This one didn't land, but he, he came in there hot. He came in hot. And um, there, there was so much history with these two fighters. Of course, everyone knows that... Pereira is a two-time glory kickboxing world champion in two weight classes, middleweight and light heavyweight, which is literally unheard of. He was a world-class kickboxer. When you look at his credentials, he was probably the most, he was probably, he's one of the most, uh, the most celebrated strikers ever come into MMA. Another people who are very noteworthy are Holly. Holly Holm, who is a kickboxing world champion, the boxing world champion, undefeated boxing world champion at that, I believe. Valentina Shevchenko, who is a seven-time kickboxing, no, seven-time Muay Thai world champion. Um, uh, Ioannis of Jacek, who is an undefeated kickboxing world champion or something like that. And, dude, those are, you know, those are some of the most accredited strikers to ever transfer over into MMA. And Pereira might be number one out of all of them. So his striking is formidable. doesn't matter who you are. It literally does not matter who you are and how good of a striker you think you are. Alex Pereira is probably better than you, for the exception of Anasanya, 
Anasanya did such a good job in that first round. I think he did his best work standing in the middle. When he was in the center of the cage and he was utilizing those straight rights that were landing every single time, I think he was doing his best work there. The only issue is Pereira towered over Anasanya. Pereira was so much bigger than Anasanya. It's fucking incredible. Usually Anasanya towers over everyone at the vision. And, uh, and Pereira towered over him. It literally looked like two guys fighting in two different divisions. Which, when you look at their weights after the fight, it definitely seemed that way. Because Pereira cuts a lot of weight to get to 185. He usually is walking around 211 and he drops down to 185. So he cuts a lot of weight to make that division where he's fucking huge for it. Dude's massive. He's big. He's really, really big. So he's formidable for anyone in that division, regardless of how good you are as a wrestler. But Anasanya did a very good job striking. I would say, for the most part, an entire fight, Anasanya definitely outstruck him. I think he did the better work. I think Pereira won numerically as far as, like, in strikes-wise. But I think that overall... Um, Anasanya did the better work and in the first round he did a very good job maintaining in the middle he was doing his best work in the middle every single time he landed a very a very good significant strike Pereira would kind of bully him close the distance have him against the cage the cage is the one place that Anasanya needed to get out of he couldn't have his back against the cage in a kickboxing match and you can like you know the, rope, the ropes are pliable, and you can, like, really duck, dodge, and weave and, and utilize that feature. You can't do that in MMA cage. There's nowhere to go. You can't lean back when you're against the cage. You're not going to go anywhere. So I think that and he and to, on the sign of the fest, he, he did do one of the things I'm going to talk about. But every single time that Pereira had him against the cage, I think Anasana should have immediately grappled, clinch, immediately clinch, try to get underhooked, try to reverse position. And once he reverses position and get Pereira against the cage, don't even try to shoot for a takedown. You can try. If you don't succeed, reset in the middle of the octagon, which he did do that a couple of times. He did, to his credit. Another thing I think he should have done was every single time Pereira caught him against the cage, on the Sanya, we all know Pereira's left hand is his most dominant hand. It's the hand that we know that he's known for for knocking everyone out. I'm 100% sure he can do that with the right hand as well, but his left hand is the one that's known for that. So we should have circled away from the left hand. And Anasanya is coming straight. I mean, if Pereira is coming straight at him, Anasanya gets the cage, then Anasanya should have circled to. I'm trying to see the position here. Anasanya should have circled to his left which would be towards um, Pereira's right hand. So if he will circle away to his left and then reset back in the middle, I think that's another thing that he could have utilized just to get away from that left hand and to go back to the middle where he was doing all around his best work. So, you know, that first round, he nearly puts away Pereira. Pereira was literally, if the fight lasted 10, 15 more seconds, Fight would have been done. Pereira got rocked with a straight right hand. Got her bad. Literally saved by the bell. So, <laughs> literally saved by the bell. Um, Pereira goes out there in the second round. I think clearly wins that round. Um, I Then we have Anasanya having a pretty grappling heavy performance in the third and in the fourth. He clearly won those rounds. So, going into the fifth round, Anasanya is 3-1. Anasanya should have just coasted. He should have just grappled as much as humanly possible. Clearly, clearly won three out of two rounds. If you have to, like, you should never sacrifice a round, especially with these incompetent MMA judges. They fucking suck. So you could be up, you can be clearly up three rounds, and you sacrifice a round, the championship round, air quotes, the fifth round, and you sacrifice that one, you take off, and you're, you know, you're not, you know, putting up a pace or, you know, try to hurt your opponent there. You're just trying to survive. It's a possibility you could lose the fight, of course. But I think Anasanya did more than enough work showing that he won three rounds out of the, the current five. So, um, you know, I think that's what he should have done. He should have did a very grappling heavy performance. But nope, he was still willing to strike with Pereira. And it cost him in the long run. He... Shaf, he'd, uh, he did a uh, a leg kick, a right leg kick, 
Pereira checked it. Anasani was in visible pain. Um, literally, he like winced over and fell over. He was able to recover afterwards, but his movement was definitely slowed. It was definitely hindered. He had his back against the cage. Pereira stalked him, landing that devastated left hand. And, you know, Anasani was kind of out on his feet. Do I think that this? Here's the thing, right? A lot of people are saying, "Oh, it's a championship fight. You gotta let it continue, no matter what. It's a fifth round. You know, every, there's a lot of stuff at stake." Which I 100% understand, but I don't think Anasanya would have recovered from that one, guys. I really don't think he would have recovered from that one. I don't think so. I'm gonna be honest. I think that he was done. I think that you know, Mark Goddard saved him from a necessary punishment or a necessary knockout. He was kind of just like ducking, dodging, moving without necessarily looking. And I think he just got what I got knocked the fuck out, viciously knocked out. So I think that Mark Goddard overall saved him. And he did give him some time too. It's not like he stopped it right away. He gave him some time to possibly recover. But I think that I think the stoppage was fair and I think it was correct. Now a lot of people are saying, oh, this shouldn't be a rematch. Pereira beat him three times, etc. Here's the thing. First time around when he fought in kickboxing, I thought Anasanya won, but the, the judges gave it to Pereira. Second time, Anasanya was winning up until the very end when he got knocked out. Third time, this time, Anasanya was winning to the very end and he got knocked out. Not only that, but Anasanya is literally the second greatest middleweight of all time, right behind um, Anderson Silva. Some people even say over Anderson Silva. I don't believe so, but he's no, he's number two behind Anderson Silva. He was a reigning defending champion. Not only that, but he literally defended his belt against all comers. He fought Robert Whitaker twice when he didn't want to fight Robert Whitaker twice. He fought Vittori twice when he didn't want to fight Vittori twice. So he was just defending his belt left and right. And on top of that, he would fight two, three times a year, which for champions is unheard of. So... When you mix all that together, man, and he was undefeated in that division and middleweight. He lost light heavyweight, but no one beat him in middleweight. So when you put all that together, especially with the narrative that we already have, and especially because Anasani was winning up until the very end, I think he more than deserves a, a rematch. He more than deserves a rematch. And listen, I'm tired of rematches. I'm tired of rematches. I don't want to see too, there's too many rematches in this current era. We need to stop. But... He deserves it. He 100% deserves it. If he don't deserve it, then who the fuck deserves it? No one else. There's no other viable title contender right now in that division. There's no other viable title contender. So I think he deserves it. I think I think they should definitely run it back. Definitely 100% run it back. But Pereira's champion, man. Do I favor Pereira to beat anyone else at the division? Maybe not. You know... Vittori's very grappling heavy. Uh, um, Whitaker's very grappling heavy. If Anasanya's able to take you down, you, you best believe those guys can take you down too. But then again, you have to close the distance to get Pereira down. Pereira's big. He might not have the best takedown defense, but his size really makes up for it, you know? Um, especially against those two guys who are much smaller than him. So it, it wouldn't be easy getting him to the ground. I think that's definitely doable and possible if Anasani could do it. But I don't think that it's just going to be willy-nilly you're going to be able to take him to the ground at ease. He's going to put up some resistance. And you have to close the distance. And he's fucking dangerous. And he hits hard. So, you know, I don't really favor him against those, those guys who are grappling heavy. But he's not going to be an easy out for anyone at the division. Especially in regards to striking. No one's beating him striking that division, period. You're going to have to wrestle him. But I think that Anasanya most definitely deserves that second title fight. And now I want to go over the MMA news slash drama that occurred this past weekend. And the first one is Cain Velasquez is free on bail. He posted a million dollar bail. He's currently free on bail. I'm happy that he's free. I think that, yeah, we should still be monitoring him because, you know, I think that the person who is accused of raping his kid is currently in jail, which is beautiful. That's how it should be. Um, but yeah, I think that I think it's fair that he was able to be posted on bail because he's not a violent guy. He's just under these circumstances. Then we have some spicy news. We have Megan Anderson says that Coach James Krause didn't help her at all with her title fight against Amanda Nunes. 
He was saying that she was barely hitting mitts at that point, that he wasn't really helping at all. And again, man, I didn't hear James Krause's um, defense in any of this. James Krause is being, you know, he ain't looking look he ain't looking too good right now. With the possible fight, fight fixing in the air, I'm not saying he fixed the fight. I'm saying that it's up in the air. As of now, the investigation is still underway. Um, one of his fighters that looked a little fishy. Um, with that up in the air, with um, you know this being up in the air now, allegedly not helping your fighter train for a title fight. I don't know. I, I, that's a little outlandish to me, you know, because you don't. He doesn't have. He, he's not like fucking Javier Mendez that has fighters fighting for the belt all the time these past couple of years. He doesn't have that in his roster. So someone fighting for the belt, even though it was pretty undeserved, to be honest, but I think he would have gave him a little more attention than just like hitting mitts. But then again, he hasn't defended himself yet, so I, I can't really say. Anisanya said in an interview that he busted a nut once to make weight. This is just comedic value. Like, obviously, you're not going to take him seriously. If you nut, you're not going to lose weight. Like, this is not going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. You know, so he's just being him. I think it's just, I think it's, I thought it was just funny to mention it. Then we have Megan Anderson says that James Krause is having an affair with Laura Sanko, which is, it's a shame that the UFC doesn't utilize your Laura Sanko more. She does like a lot of the like, you know, back end stuff for, the, you know, the segments. And I think she is an announce, she's a, one of the commentators for the contender series. So I would love to see the UFC utilize her in the commentary booth, especially when, like, it's a woman main event for, for a fight or, or a lot of women bouts on the card or something like that, you know, or a women's fight night. It's a, if two women are fighting at the main event, throw Lord Sanko in there. But we're not talking about that right now. We're talking about the scandal, which is James Krause apparently having an affair with her. Bro, you ain't looking good right now. You, you got possible fight fixing, not training your fighter for a title fight, and now cheating on your wife, Laura Sanko. Granted, Laura Sanko's fucking fire, but you're not looking good, homie. Like, you're not looking good. And again, he hasn't come out and said anything. And Megan Anderson could be lying about all this. You know, who knows? I'm not just taking her side automatically and saying that she's right. And because she's a woman, she knows these things. And, you know, we should take her side in it. No, I got to hear both sides of the argument. But it ain't a good look. It's really not a good look. And then we have uh, what we talked about, Anthony Rumble Johnson passing away, unfortunately. And Dana White creates a power slap league. I don't know why. This is really random. Power slapping, it, has, it had to be made in Russia. I'm pretty sure it was made in Russia. Because uh, that wouldn't have been made in the States. I don't think so. At least I hope so. But it seems like one of those weird Russian sports. And it's just a dumb sport. Like, I can't, I, I, there's nothing else for me to say. It's a stupid sport. There, and I don't understand why Dana White want to do this. There's not, like, much craze behind it. Like, people watch, you know, power slap videos and compilation stuff because it's like, what the fuck, this is so weird kind of thing. Not that anyone really respects it. It's never going to be big. Is never going to be viable. You can't transfer the talent and power slapping over to MMA. It's not going to work. So what's the point? Like I, I really, I'm trying to figure out the the possible ROI that can happen for Dana White doing this, and I'm just this is not adding up for me. So I just think I don't know. He's being random and stupid. I I, I just I think this is dumb. I think it's 100 percent dumb. Yeah, I'm not a fan. Then apparently Chandler gets caught cheating by fish hook. So apparently Chandler got caught cheating with a number of fouls. He was saying that Chandler fish hooked him, which is like pseudo evidence for kind of in a way. Uh, excuse me, it was like kind of evidence for it. Um, he was saying that because Chandler's nose was all busted, it's probably broken, but he was like blowing snot blood in his face to like obstruct his vision he was pulling the gloves like listen here's the thing right cheating in mma is very prevalent unfortunately there's a lot of glove pulling there's a lot of cage grabbing there's a lot of shit that goes down like that granted shit like fish hooking should not should be completely inexcusable that's not cool you should not be doing that shit 
like literally if an instance of fish hooking is seen from a referee, a point should not be deducted. You should be immediately disqualified, immediately disqualified. So it's one of those things that is, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a foul that should be 100% inexcusable. And if he was doing all that, then it's hard to do anything afterwards because when he lost the fight and two, the fight already happened. So what can we really do? There's not much we can do. There's really realistically not much we can do at that point. So I think that, you know, it's up to the referee to spot these fouls and to do the necessary punishment for people committing them. You know, that's on the referee to see this stuff. And you can't just let that kind of shit go by. I think that referees tend to let it go by a little much. People tend to commit like four or five fouls for the referee really tries to do anything besides like an eye poke or a groin kick. So I think that the UFC should definitely, should. De- I mean, the, the officials should should, uh, should do a better job at, at regulating this and, and calling it out and, and giving punishment for it, you know? I'm 100% for taking putting points and that kind of stuff. So it's it's ultimately on the UFC. I mean, ultimately on the referees. There's not much you can do now. And the Petri predictions portion of this podcast, the only fight I'm going to be going over this week's card is not the sexiest, but it should be watched just the same as Derek Lewis against Spivak. And I just think Derek. I think Derek is done, man. I think Derek might be done. So I'm not going for Derek for this one. I'm not putting my money anywhere near Derek for this one. I think that, and I don't know where they're fighting. If they're fighting in Texas, definitely don't put your money on Derek. Because Derek don't fight good in Texas, especially not in Houston. So I have to check the location-wise, but I'm not putting money on Derek. I'm not comfortable putting money on Derek. You should not be comfortable putting money on Derek. You should not, no one should be putting money on Derek right now. And if he loses, man, then like, I guess you can give him one more, but... You know, that would be, what, the fourth, fifth in a row? It doesn't make sense. So, yeah. And he's not a young fighter either. So his time might be up. Um, But, yeah, I have Spivak winning this one. Most likely by knockout. And this goes episode 29 of R6 of MMA Talk, the fight after the fight. With me, your boy, Noah Petrie. Of course, you can find this podcast at all basically all major podcasting platforms spotify apple Podcasts, amazon music iHeartRadio. radio the list just goes on and on and on and of course you can find me on twitter at noah ptr6 or on instagram at noah underscore a underscore petri look out for this podcast dropping on tuesdays at 7 a.m and i hope you guys enjoy the fights and i'll see you next week